Hi, I'm Sadek. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 117 of Shades of Brown. Uh, Hold up. Wait, is it? Wait, I realize now that I just titled this. Is it? Let me go. Yes, it is. It is indeed 117. I do. I always double check episode numbers. So, um, unfortunately, we're not talking about Halo today. No, um, it's not. It's not smart in one one seven. No, it, it uh, could. I mean, honestly, what if we saved one one seven? Right. Okay. So hear me out. Hear me out. So back when Transposable was running, I skipped oh an episode God. number uh, because, <laughs> like, it, you know, you know, when like you ever like start doing something, you spend like some time on it, and then you and the person you're working with, you just look at each other, and you're like, you know what? Let's not. That's, like, yeah, how about? Oh, I, I remember no. this. I remember this is the this is the hashtag the missing episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what if what if we just skipped over and called this one eighteen, and then when Halo Infinite comes out at the end of the year, when it's presumably like episode one thirty, oh, we no, loop no, no. back. See, see, the problem with the problem with this is like it, it'll, it'll mess up like the whole ordering system. In like, uh, like it look it, it it the nerd in me will be like that's that's bad. I mean, like, Apple Podcast barely updates our show listing anyway. So I mean, yeah, but it's, it it bothers me in like in my soul. It's like it's mm. just. Like, so it's sort of it's it's you're basically saying like number consistency it's like hardline and then yeah, like it's, it's also yeah it's like also like our episode like our our podcast is actually 117 episodes already because we started at you zero. mean 118 yeah because we started episode zero yes like we, the, we're 118 uh, because we, this is actually not episode 117 technically if you start counting at one right uh like if you start counting at one it's yeah like i mean we obviously we, we made a concession for the linux nerds all the way back then to start at zero we we knew we 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 saw into the future and we we're like we you saw know into what <laughs> I mean also don't listen to episode zero it's, no no <laughs> absolutely do not nobody go listen to episode zero because it's I don't even know what it like uh, well I I haven't Actually, listened to it you know what we could do we could do a number crunch all right we can do a stat crunch like it's an MMO and we basically started like episode sixty when we actually. Like you know, when I started actually editing this instead of yeah, the, yeah, the horribly right. balanced. When you actually calls. started editing, like we should have had like like uh, like if you did seasons that 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 no, we did seasons. Remember seasons were like so it's, we we there's technically every time we do a run of the show that is a new season. So right now we're on season three, right? Yeah, we're like in season three now. So yeah, we're in season know. three. Uh, uh, but basically we could just like do a stat crunch right so we start at episode 60 that becomes episode zero and this actually then would become 60 minus one one seven is, <laughs> we're doing math on the fuck seven quick math one seven minus 60 is 57 <laughs> says the episode 57 so actually this is episode 57 oh. of shades of brown um i also totally did not need to pull out a calculator to subtract 11 from six <laughs> but you know what fuck 12 um anyways <laughs> the Speaking about That's... numbers, the iPad turned 10. Um, essentially, the iPad announcement, not the entire the product coming out. That happens in April. So we're probably going to have to go through this hell cycle of Apple bloggers getting mad at each other again later on I the mean, year. I mean, see, this is the thing. Like, Apple bloggers getting mad at each other is like, it's, it's entertaining to me because I, I'm not involved in any way. I just watch. Uh, so it's like entertaining. Uh, and I'm not I'm not on Twitter when this when the stupid arguments happen. So that, that's fine. Uh, so let's let's get into it. So this is the tenth year anniversary. It's a nice round number. So you know, it's everybody's everybody's getting their nostalgia out and whatnot. Uh, is is the ten year anniversary of the iPad, which means like ten years since uh, Steve Jobs uh, uh, showed off like the first iPad, right? Like this was the keynote, uh, and this was like this is one of the not the last keynote that Steve Jobs did, but I think the second last. Yeah, uh, one keynote. of it, one of his last. And and as well too, you know, is my favorite part. Remember how Engadget back in the day, 
Um, also, too, as, as a as a sidebar, Engadget used to be a great litmus test for how fast your JavaScript engine was. <laughs> yes. yes I, every time those... I talk about old Engadget, I always remember every time we did like a new version of Chrome or Firefox or um, SeaMonkey back in the day. Remember when SeaMonkey was actively developed? We would like we would basically go to Engadget and scroll it, and if it stays at sixty frames per second, that's a smooth web render. <laughs> so. So that so, but no, but, but back with Engadget though. The point I was trying to make, actually, besides the, the joke there, was um they leaked the iPad right. So they leaked it an hour before, or like a, a couple hours before it was announced. And the best part is that in those leaked photos, there is an iPhone four sitting on top of the iPad, and no one noticed it for six months. Like the photos were on Engadget. Let me go ahead and pull this up. Engadget iPad original leak. Oh my god, that's that's amazing! The, how do how do people not notice? Like, I, like people who who do these leak stuff usually are like looking for all sorts of fucking clues uh, for new products, and it's like, how do you miss a fucking iPhone four sitting on top of the iPad? Like, okay, here we go. How? I'm I'm gonna actually I'm gonna drop this link into our show notes real quick. Um, oh my god, this is this is a trip down memory lane. Yep. Yeah, so if you scroll through, I believe one of these one of these photos. All right, yep. Yeah, one of these photos in the image gallery should have an iPhone four just sitting on top of it. Mind you, an iPhone 4, not even in a fucking case. Oh, how did they miss that? Like, how was this? Holy shit. I mean, this is, te- what is this is 10 years ago. Like, that, So that, this is six months, too, before Gizmodo, before it got lost in the bar. Oh, right? yes. The Gizmodo. St- Gizmodo. Uh, we got to talk about that That's at some point, but not now. Because, like, the Gizmodo thing is another whole uh, debacle of, of, of tech journalism. Uh, so... So the Gruber and also uh, in in some case in, in a little bit uh, Ben Thompson like Gruber started it basically this time around uh, he started the fireball as it were uh, is I'm not even going to acknowledge that just, I'm not even going to acknowledge that one <laughs> like like you do you fam like I <laughs> I'm going to laugh at my own joke it's fine uh, so he's basically like. Uh, the, the title of the piece was uh, The iPad Awkwardly Turns 10. And his point was that the iPad uh, has not, like, the iPad is successful as a product for Apple and as in general in, around the world uh, as, like, a cultural uh, phenomenon or as a technological phenomenon. Uh, is is popular and it's it's used by a lot of people, loved by a lot of people. But uh, the, the, at the end of the day, it has not met the potential like lived up to its all its potential and the potential was that this this computer was supposed to be like the next iteration of computers as 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 much as the mac was an iteration of the desktop right like is that i think basically that's what he's trying to say right it's like this uh like listen to the latest episode of the talk show as well he talks about this he's like it is it was supposed to be this like transformative experience where like the iPad basically became uh like sort of uh like what do you want like the iPad transformed into what you wanted to do. So if you if you if you put on a movie on it, it became a TV. If you if you uh if you started drawing on it, it became an easel, right? Like it's that sort of stuff. Like it it became what you wanted to be. And it was like this uh one app at a time uh sort of paradigm of uh, using a computer and like it was simple and it was uh it was immediately intuitive because you used the touch screen to interact with it like it was uh, a large uh, nice looking screen right and all that stuff like but at now now where we are at is this 10 years later from the launch of the original iPad is that we have the iPad Pro we have uh we have the pencil we have 
iPad OS now. And iPad OS means that we also have all these, uh, all these multitasking features, right? The, the, the slide over, uh, what else? Like, what are they called? Like, like, the undiscoverables, as I like to call them. Yeah, the undiscoverables. So you have, you have those, all these, all these multitask features. And, but the thing with these multitasking features is it, it they are basically, impossible to use for anybody who doesn't already know about them right like even i who uh like i have an ipad uh like an ipad air the new one of the one of the new ipad airs like the 2019 ipad air right uh i have not even like i've never not accidentally like all anytime i've triggered the multitasking features it is on accident i've never triggered it on purpose uh and i don't know how to trigger it on purpose like I, I literally do not know the gestures because I, A, the system has never taught me. Like the system has never been like, hey, here is how you do the multitasking gesture. And B, it is it is not discoverable at all. Like it is no, there's no way for me to be like, hey, what does this button do? Because there is no button for me to discover. Like there is no button. There is no. And, and so if we talk about gesture navigation. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you uh, if you if you're using your vintage Shades of Brown bingo card from 2014 through 2016, please check off hamburger menus. So if we talk about gesture navigation, so let's look at Windows 8. Windows 8's gesture navigation is as undiscoverable as the iPads, but somehow it worked better. And and I think that the reason is that the gesture navigation on the iPad is not consistent from app to app. Whereas on Windows 8, right, all of the hot corners did the same thing. So on the iPad, right, all, when you swipe up from the bottom to pull up the dock, right, and all of that, that makes sense. But the UI conventions within iOS don't lend itself to being consistent, right? Because with um with Windows 8, as you swipe in from the right, you access the system bar where you can open the app settings and all of that. And that settings menu had a similar structure because A, have how restrictive UWP was or... Oh my God! It was Metro at the time, or was it Universal, or was it UWA? Yeah, Metro. It, yeah, it was. I think it was Metro. This was the, the Windows Eight was Metro, right? The beginning. Yeah, of it was this is before Metro. Microsoft just like it was the beginning of the end for them. Yeah, but, the yeah. but essentially, the it was undiscoverable but consistent. The iPad is undiscoverable and not consistent, which means that it. it and the thing too is for a lot of like regular computer users, right? Like a lot of people kind of get taught that with mouse and keyboard interfaces and some touch interfaces that just touching stuff will break something, right? Like there's always like that for for less technical users, right? If the this is this is why like I used to be so against hamburger menus because the idea is a you're you're building in more complexity into your app and b it's so undiscoverable because you're throwing it into a junk drawer, right? That it might be better just to have separate apps for those purposes rather than throwing everything in one big monolithic app. And now you have it where, like, for example, if you're in Safari on the iPad, let's say you, uh, let's say, you know, sometimes you want to have multiple windows open. Let's say, for example, I'm writing uh, the show notes for this podcast episode, and I'm also going to look up some links. And I want to, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to basically be switching back and forth from tabs. I'll have them open side by side. Cool. You could do that. Grab the tab and drag it. That makes sense. That's how it works. You know, on a desktop metaphor makes sense. And then, um, do you know how you merge a window? Like, do, do, do you know how to merge them? So, um, I want you to pull out your iPad, actually. Let's do this in actually, real time. Hold on, hold on. It's, it's on my bed. I'm just going to go get it. I'll be right yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go do that. <laughs> All right. I actually... All right, yeah. So I'll say open Safari, and then just go ahead. Go to, like, two websites, right? Drag out the tab, and let's make two windows. 
Okay, okay. So I have I have Safari. I'm gonna open a couple of links. I'm gonna open two links here. Okay, so dragging it out, you just drag the tab, right? You should you should be able to drag the tab to like the left or right of the screen, and it should just okay. when you let oh, go of okay, it. Okay, so it, it it became a popover window actually. Oh, it became a pop. I don't like. I don't know how to make it like actually two windows. Like it became a pop. And how do I get rid of the popover window? I I think you swipe. <laughs> Yeah, if I drag it, it becomes two. Now it becomes like a slide over window, right? Like two side by side. Yeah. Like I have, I have two tabs. Like I, I took one tab and I put it in, into. So we, we've taken, we've taken user interface. Um, no, no number one here, which is make it into a slide over and then have no clear instruction on how to make it into a separate window or essentially the whole slide over system at all doesn't make yeah. any sense like it there's see this is the thing i i just did this it's i did this maneuver right now in front of you and i don't know why it was a popover versus a, versus a second window like i i have no idea why why because of a slight movement in in my fingers like it was a popover instead of a slide over right like how how am i supposed to know if it is supposed to, like it is there's no way for me to like in okay, so this is like when I when I click the minimize bu- minimize button on on a desktop like in, on desktop Windows, it go it 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 goes down to the taskbar. If I click on the in, on the unmaximize the unmaximize button, it it becomes a small window, and then I can move it around. Like how am I supposed to understand this metaphor here? Like because there is no. The, 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 the OS is not telling me, right? Like the OS kind of sort of indicates like when I, when I tried to make the popover window slide over, like when I moved it a little bit, it was like, okay, so if it'll show you like a black bar behind the window where it's like, okay, so if you do this, then it'll become a, a slide over window. But when I moved the original tab into a popover, that was like, I, how am I supposed to make it actually like a slide? And even, so even better, let's go ahead and see. Um, I want you to take just take a guess. What, how do you how do you make those back into one window? Um, I let me let me what I I can try. I move the uh, how do I? It's actually yes. How do I do this? Um, so you've already I, failed. You don't move. You long press on the tab icon and then merge all tabs or merge into windows. I think the option is should appear when you long press on it for a couple seconds. See, the problem is I have I have two only two tabs open and they're both in separate windows. So there's only there's no tab bar, right? There's now. no tab overview button. There should be like a new tab button or something like that on the. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, hold on. Um, where is the new tab button? Should be at the top. I um, I, I don't have I, an I, iPad I, on me. Let's I see. swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had to put it into landscape to get the iPad uh, UI to actually give me the button. Uh, then I, cl- I put a tab. You long then, press on that icon. Oh, long should, press. Yeah, and that should appear. Um, should allow you to merge it back into your window. No, it just gives me recently closed tabs. Actually, hold on. If I, Wait, are you are you clicking on the new tab button or the the tab overview button, like the one if you're on your iPhone? Oh, tab. Do you mean the tab? Do you mean the tab overview button? Yeah, okay. yeah. Not the plus, but the two oh. block, but the two rectangles. Thing. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, I see a merge all windows button. Yep, it ah, tap on that, okay, and that's how you okay. do it. Holy shit! How am I supposed to know that? Like, how am I supposed to have to long press on the fucking? Oh my god! What is this? This is so bad. This is why. This is okay. So this is why I don't use the iPad anything uh, other than watching Twitch streams and Netflix on. Like, I do not use it for productivity. Uh, like, I sometimes I occasionally use it for om- OmniFocus, but OmniFocus is like the one task I use it for. I don't try to like multitask on this fucking thing because I don't know how all these. UI paradigms work and I, and this is also another thing is like I'm not like like I'm not like like I'm being like 
I don't know how to use this computer, but I have I've been using computers of all kinds for a long time, and I know how to use computers. I'm not like I'm not a novice at using computers. Uh, and and as well, I would like to um. So there's this notion that oh, it's because we grew up on Windows and and that that we don't know use it. No, 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 no. So my my own nephews are you know all under the age of like ten, right? And they use their their, pri- their primary computer is an iPad. I think they even for school their school uses iPads instead of like Chromebooks, um, and I've had this conversation before. I've literally been like, so, uh, do you use multiple windows? And they're just kind of like, what? Yeah, they're like, what? <laughs> they're like, wait, windows? what? That exists? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I've never seen them using slide over or using split view or anything like that. Yeah. And, uh, I think to the Gruber's point, uh, Gruber was talking about how his mom, uh, mom's accidentally made a window into, uh, into a popover or a slide over. And then she was very confused. And then she found the, uh, setting in 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 set in settings where you could disable that entirely that system like popovers and slideovers, and imagine this like imagine having the ability to disable like basic windowing window management in in, in the OS because like at, in some ways I think that is an admission that like this is not like it is like how why is okay so in in like everybody's talking about how these are advanced multitasking features on an iPad. Why is this an advanced feature? Like, why is this supposed to be an advanced feature as, as opposed to this is something that everybody can and should be able to do? Versus on on Mac OS, everybody uses Windows, like uh, like moving around Windows, putting Windows side by side, minimizing, maximizing, uh, like like putting one window on top of uh, another. Like wh- that is not an advanced advanced multitasking feature and, and more so and, and more so there's some features that like don't that maybe aren't like traditionally 100 percent like intuitive to find but can be taught as a convention across all platforms that'll make it you know be that'll make it work for example for example the um right click right like that's a great example of like hey right clicks or not that's not a discoverable feature right you kind of have to be taught but because it's so consistent like Everyone will always right click and it, it's never right clicking doesn't break anything, right? Like right clicking will never be a negative user experience. No, it won't. Like if you can right click on anything, it either works or it doesn't. Like you get what you want or you do not get what you want. Like there's no, like the failure state is not like your, your app, your app crashes or like app breaks or OS gets confused or whatever. Like it's not that you just, you just right click and you get like a little, like on, like if I right click on, it, like if I have, like I have, a, I have Firefox open right now with the show notes. Like if I right click on a tab, I get like a, a Firefox little thing where I can say, you know, like a bunch of options. Like th- that's it. Like it, it does like, and I can just easily close it by just clicking again. Like it's, it's gone. And like, even better about this multitasking part. Let's, um, I'm going to send you a screenshot. Here's what happens when I hover over the maximize button on Mac OS. Let me go ahead. I'll send it to you in, uh, in telegram real quick. Alex, I'll add it to the show chapter art. So I hover over the maximize button. Look at what helpful guide I get. It, there's no delay. I just literally move my mouse over it and that pops up. And for so, um, if you look at your screen right now, it's basically it's a it's a popover menu. When you hover over the maximize button, it says make the app full screen or tile it to the left or the right. Yeah, so that's like you know, just you know, the most common option, most common actions that people do with Windows and Mac OS is either they make it full screen or they or they put it to the left or put it to the right. Like that is like that is just and it gives you I, a helpful hint. And the same thing with Windows, right? If you if you click on the maximize button and start moving it around, it'll it'll place guides across the screen to show you where you're yeah, moving or, it to. Yeah, yeah. And there are also like if you're if, and now if you're an advanced user, you can use the keyboard to do that on on Windows, right? You can you can hold the uh, Windows key and then use the arrow keys, right? 
Uh, you could do that. Or even even better is if you're on tablet mode on Windows 10 and you try to um, open multiple apps, it does not automatically f- open the app on one side. You have to pick. It'll show a zoomed out view of the app, right? And it'll wiggle left and right. And you have to either you have to drag it left or right or drop it into the middle before you can open the app. Tablet mode on Windows 10 forces you to pick a to pick a spot for it just so it teaches you that hey you can a can have multiple apps open and b we're not going to you're going to set the model here right we're not going to set the window model for you it's something you set because if the user sets the window model then they it mentally it's it's a little less likely for it to break in their head and this is this is the thing this is the thing right the the ipad model right now it's like it it's it feels entirely like the OS is deciding a bunch of shit for you that it does not tell you about, right? Like it feels like the OS is hiding stuff from you, and it's you don't know what the OS is about to do when it do an action, which is always a bad thing. Like when when you do something on an, in an operating system uh, at a basic fundamental level, you should know what the action, the result, like when you click a button. You sh- you should at least have a basic idea of what it's about to do. And when I did that, like when I moved that tab over and it became a popover instead of a slide over, I like I I had I had zero like intuitive or otherwise like knowledge into what the OS was going to do at that exact moment until it until it did. And, and, and more importantly, right? Think about if you accidentally tap something and that happens, right? Like there, it it doesn't teach you how to get out of it. Because if you could always X out of a window, right, on like Mac or Windows, and just reopen it, right? If you if you get into a weird pit, like page on like your web browser, say for example, for some reason you accidentally end up in about flags in like Chrome or Firefox, right? Just because you were typing something, and you know sometimes autocorrect will take you there, you know, like or suggestion or autocomplete, whatever they call the feature, right? Or you get like some weird menu, you could just always close that tab or close out of the window, and you're fine, you're out of it. it it's, I think, I think it's. The iPad isn't really protective of user error in its design, right? Whereas mouse and keyboard interfaces, sure, you can do a lot of damaging stuff, but it's very hard, right? Like, it's very hard to break a Windows system outside of downloading EXEs off the internet. Let's take that aside. Outside, Let's put that aside. I'm talking about in the UI, right? Like, in the UI, clicking around with a mouse, Microsoft makes it very hard for you to actually break the system. Yes. Yeah. Like You have to be really... You have to actually know how Windows works to break it, which is, like, if you don't know how Windows works, you probably won't be able to break it, maybe, possibly. Uh, it's, like, it has gotten more difficult to break Windows these days. Uh but like the iPad feels fragile. It feels fragile because like you, it feels fragile in the way it's it's kind of weird because I, the iPad is such like an iPad OS is such a lockdown system because Apple designs like iOS and iPad OS in a very lockdown way. And but at the same time, it it feels like it's gonna break at any point because it's like you don't know what's gonna happen. Like it's just. Un- unintuitive is not even like intuitiveness is not the word like like the, the John Gruber is talking about this some people mentioned that people are just intuitively using Windows because they have been using Windows since they were born or whatever like I don't think that's it I think it's just that these this this UI this UX in, in iPadOS is like it's it's not discoverable right and not consistent like and cohesive like okay so I'm gonna just read this Last paragraph from this Gruber article, it's like advanced uh, iPad features are mostly invoked only by gestures, which just with gestures are not cohesively designed. Right, the Mac is more complex, which is good for experts and would be experts, but bad for typical users. But its complexity is almost entirely discoverable visually. Right, like that is the that is the key point I want to bring. Like it's like this complexity on the iPad 
it is, it is not it is not like it is not visible like there is no visual aid for you like it is you entirely have to sort of it sort of figure out you have to look up videos uh like uh, like come on like apple i think apple can do better than this like i can i think apple can and should do better than this because they have already figured it out and they they are trying to make the ipad more mac like but at the same time they are essentially essentially creating all these complexities in a system that uh, when it first was created was never designed like was never thought to ha- it should have all these complexities right so they're, they're sort of like it is sort of like you ha- you you molded a thing and but now you want to do a different thing now you have to like sort of awkwardly mold it back into like a different thing like it's like really weird how this is happening like it's awkward and that that's the thing it's awkward to use like multitasking features on, on it. it i think too the proud part of the issue is that the i don't want to say responsive design was a mistake but responsive design for productivity software and software used for... Can you like elaborate on what you mean by responsive design here? Like So responsive design, so essentially how iOS, Android, and Windows all work now is um, the apps should reformat themselves the wider the screen gets. And what that means is when you build an iPhone app, you work in percentages, right? You build an Android app, you always work in percentages. And the assumption is that, oh, the bigger the screen gets, you can just enable more functionality. Whereas what actually happens is that the bigger the screen gets, oh, cool, more margin. <laughs> like if you've used the official Twitter app on iPad, right? Like, yeah, oh, that's bad. It's, it's just it's, big bars it's, on the it's side. Just bad. It doesn't have a column layout. It doesn't look like Mastodon, right, or anything. It's literally just more white space on the sides. And and I think I think the issue with that is that it also spreads to the OS design itself as well. Whereas iOS scales up, right? But is is that is that how it should work? Shouldn't I, I believe Android has the same issue, right? This is like like Honeycomb was the best Android tablet release, and then it just got worse and worse because Google kept trying to move it towards like one universal layout, and Microsoft runs the same problem, right? Where Windows 10 on tablets is just more complex than it might need to be, because I mean there are some things that it's like no, you, like if you have a tablet, maybe you don't want to be editing the registry, right? Like maybe maybe Microsoft shouldn't ship the Win32 Word uh, Notepad app on on Windows 10 with tablets, but but the the, the issue there, it's sort of the assumption is right that oh it's you can we can just take like um let's say logic right we can take like a logic app scale it down to an iphone and scale it up and add more functionality to make it work whereas i don't believe that's actually how productivity software works i think that the best ipad apps are making music apps right like like music creation apps that's a whole gray area and none of them work on iphone they all have their specific layouts created for the ipad and that's why they work they're ipad only and they are ditto for um I think like OmniFocus, right, has a specific iPad layout. Yes. So like, I, let me talk about OmniFocus because I use it semi-regularly. Like, it's it's my it's my I guess task manager uh, for uh, a project manager rather. Uh, and and the, uh, the I use it on iOS a lot uh, on, on on my phone a lot. Like I well, that's probably the but on my phone I don't like create like huge projects because it is actually very awkward to do that on my phone because all all the UI. Functions are overloaded behind menus and whatnot, right? So what I when I want to when I want to create uh like uh, like a bu- like I want to create a project and do have multiple tasks, add due dates, add notes. Uh, I usually go to the iPad or the Mac, right? So and on the iPad version, it's like multi-column and you can like sort of pin a column when you want. 
to, that call him to be always be there or you don't want him to be there. And like it is, it is a completely different sort of paradigm from how the 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 phone version is designed. And that is that is how iPad apps should be designed, right? Like it is like either it is- yeah, because like on uh, on desktop Windows, right, or on Mac, right. If if I was to open up Final Cut or Logic right now, or hell, even Audacity for that matter, you scale the window down, you know, you get you get overflow menus because it doesn't make sense to make that shit responsive. Like it, it like it, it is not outlandish to say, hey, if you're going to use this creative software, that um, they a use it full screen, and b maybe we won't support ten twenty four by seven six eight. Maybe uh, maybe you won't have a great time at twelve eighty by eight hundred, right? No, no, you won't. Like, you, there, there are ideal resolutions. Like, these UIs are designed for like certain size screens and certain. And, size- and we accept that as a compromise because a, if no one wants to be editing photos or videos on that low of a resolution screen to begin with, because that's probably a small screen. And so, with 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 the tablets and with iPads, I think we should accept that as well. That okay, the idea that we're going to make one app that scales all the way, you know, Swift UI style or UWP or fuck even PWA or Android, right, where it scales all the way up. Like, I don't think that's the right way to handle this design because it bleeds into so many other parts of the system, right? I, I think I call this, uh, I think it's like GNOME 3 learned this the hardware, right? Or sort of canonical Unity, where it's like they made a hard swerve into something that's super modern and super scalable. And then people were like, no, what you actually made was something that looks pretty but has no functionality. And, and you have, there's like, there's a certain ugliness of productivity software, right? Like productivity software is never like cute or, are nice because it doesn't have to be right like no one ever opens cad and is like oh wow that's a sick animation when i open a new project like as a matter of fact people who work in cad or in logic like me i don't fucking want any animations i don't want this i don't want it to be no no no. you don't want any animations because it's slow yeah it's slower right and it's also and i think i think you're trying to get at is like responsive design like this philosophy sort of removes the affordances like a larger screen gives you like the larger screen means you can have more icons more you you, you have to hide less things under overflows or uh, hamburgers or whatever other ui mechanism like you don't have to hide as many things like if you have if i have a if for example if i, if I have my desktop open like it is a it is like a 1440p screen and I have a full screen productivity app. It can display a lot of things. Like you can, the window Chrome by itself can display so many, there's so many options. It doesn't have to hide things behind menus. And the, the canvas, by, if it's like a Photoshop or something, if the canvas like is a large thing, like if it's like a, if it's like some sort of universal design, like in a responsive way, it's like the, it's just going to look awkward because it's like, yeah, we we are sort of designing this UI to be like scalable, but it also looks kind of just kind of awkward on lo- very large screens because we never like sometimes I open like sometimes you open like a PWA app and it's like it's very awkward on a lar- very high resolution display because it's not like it wasn't like ever designed to be really used in a very high resolution display like it was like the UI is responsive, but it's not that responsive. So even the responsiveness has like its limits. Like, but if you design specifically for for a high resolution display in a productivity app, like that is like you're taking advantage of the screen space. Uh, and that's the thing that like, you're not taking advantage of the screen space with with the responsive design, which is like an which is like a weird thing to say because the whole promise of responsive design was that you are like you know scaling. But no one does to- that. Instead, what you get is medium where hey. 
if you're on a if you're on a desktop big font big picture let's scale that shit integer scaling right like fuck it yeah it's like so i hate medium by the way by the this is an aside but medium is a terrible website and i hate it because the big images and the big fonts are horrible it takes up a full page to scroll past the image i hate it i always hate it uh but like yeah like i think it's it's like it's sort of weird because like uh I don't know if this is like a web developer mentality that's spreading into like normal app developers like Well, I, I, I mean, don't... and I promise I'm not going to make it a thing about Electron. Don't I promise. Uh, it's not Electron, but it's about like web development sensibilities, right? PZC Hey, this is Google's fault. Like, um, let's just straight up say this is Google's fault with material design and sort of how they rolled out the responsive set. Um a lot of these UI a lot of people who are newer and um tend to work in the uh I call, uh, what's a good acronym for it? So you have Chrome, React, Node, and then uh, maybe like uh, Blink specific web prefixes. Web, web dev, web hell. I'm web. just gonna call it web hell. Web. <laughs> you got the you got the web kit. Not the web kit. You have the um, web developer 2020 starter kit, which is Chrome, Chrome Dev Channel, Chrome Canary are the three browsers you only test in. A heavy usage on um, client side, client side React. Um, you know, you run it on a sick node server, and then you're also using um, 10 million npm packages, half of which throw security vulnerabilities. But you just turn those those warnings off because fuck it. And as well, um, uh, half your app only works with Blink prefixes on uh, CSS <laughs> queries. But but jokes aside, I think it's more of that the UI design taught for that doesn't web apps aren't meant for hardcore productivity, right? Like. The the HIG and the um, user interface guidelines for Windows lead themselves to making Chrome heavy apps that you can get work done in, right? No, you know you say that, but like I, I like I, I, if you if you if you we're talking about productivity software on the web, the one of the things that I use every day, multiple times, many times a day, is the FastMail web UI. And the FastMail web oh, UI... FastMail is a, a, an exception to the rule in multiple counts. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But I'm just saying it's it's not impossible. It just needs thoughtful design, which is not which is not available. It needs time, thoughtful right? design and maybe a, less of a reliance on JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's probably true. Yeah, I mean, the FastMail web UI is... is it I is, imagine the FastMail web UI is probably mostly functional without JavaScript. I Actually, that's a good... Like, I had to try it, but I would imagine. So it's uh, probably pretty functional. Uh, but... I think the point you're trying to make is that these, like the develop, like it has to become. If if you're gonna blame anybody, I think you can blame Oracle for for Java because this is like the Java way of developing, right? Like it's kind of like the Java model where like you develop for you develop in Java and it works on every platform, right? And you develop on the web so it it works on hashtag every platform because it's a web app. Uh, and we have all these affordances, right? We have PWAs, right? We have uh, what else, like single page applications and like react and-, and, and mind you that's fine for like a chat app right like that's fine for a chat app but like hey like you know making a productivity app like there's a reason it's still native because it's a different you you have this focus on the design of the app being just like here's everything you can do there's a specific workflow but once you learn this workflow right like once you learn the learning curve you're you you'll be quick you'll be able to get everything done right like logic was a pain in the ass to learn they don't make it easy, but now that I know how to do it right, like to load up a podcast, start editing it, it takes me less than a minute. Like a minute, drop the files, load up the VSTs. Like it just took me a little bit of time to learn it. But when you look at touch interfaces, 
I think once again, copying from the uh, Ben Thompson piece, the more the more you learn the workflow of a touch interface, the harder it gets to do more advanced tasks. Right? Instead of getting easier, the more you learn, it's like it's harder to do it the more you know about it. Which is which is really weird. It's like it's like it's like you know it's it's the opposite of what I call the Vim curve. Like you know, using the Vim text editor on Linux, like on Unix systems, right? Like. When you first started using Vim, you don't know how it works, but you start. You, Vim, okay, first of all, Vim has a fucking document. Fucking has fucking documentation. It has a manual that you can read, right? It'll teach you how to use Vim. Like if you read the manual, it has everything you want to know. And that's the thing: there is no manual. Like, how do I learn how to use these gestures? Does iOS give me a manual? Like, is, does this like do I have to look up YouTube videos to fucking learn how to use my iPad? Like, and there's like, also an expectation with CLI software that you read the manual, whereas the whole reason you have a GUI is that you can visually. You don't tell. have to read the manual. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. You don't have like you like the you, the, the the whole thing is like it's a GUI, so you can just like sort of intuitively look at the thing and figure it. out. But that's the thing you can't look at the thing and figure it out because there's nothing to look at that will help you figure it out. But that's the problem. That's the fucking problem. And the weirdest part, too, is that Google kind of had it right with Honeycomb and then said, fuck it. <laughs> right? Like, every time I'm upset, I'm like, Microsoft, not really at Windows 10. Windows 8 was on the right track. My, like, they, they were on the right track, but then they all gave up because I, everyone wants to buy iPads because iPads are the better tablet hardware-wise, right? And then Google just, I, and the worst Android got, even if iOS was stagnant on tablets, it still was a hell of a lot better than that shit show. So... It's weird. There's like I think I think the ultimate issue is that there's no challenger, right? And and actually I want to raise a counterpoint because I know I know at least three people are gonna mention me mention me with it. Uh plasma on tablets, actually not bad. Like with the plasma, you know, I've seen a couple of videos of I think Pine Books or Pine Book might actually have a tablet out or their work or Pine, I guess, because it wouldn't be a Pine Book, it'd be a Pine tab. But from what I've seen, like Plasma which uh, if you're old like me and just found this out recently, KDE rebranded to Plasma recently. Um, that's actually pretty good. And and I, I I think that if if given some competition in, in the tablet space, everyone's gonna obviously you know everyone's gonna win, but I think that's final that's what's gonna take for Apple to actually start putting more work into iPad. Putting more work into it or make yeah, like actually improving the situation as in the from like that's 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 my beef with the iPad. Like it's it's this it's this. The I don't have a problem with multitasking being a concept. I think Ben Thompson had a hotter take, which is like multitasking does not like the way multitasking shouldn't be a thing on an iPad. But like I don't agree with that. But I think if if we want it to be a, like a, a machine that you can use for productivity, you can use for multi for using multiple apps at once. Like we we should make affordances for that. Like we should learn from the Mac. All, like this is the thing Apple knows how to design this like Apple has people who design Mac apps and Mac apps uh, have certain affordances that they make to make the UI more understandable and more discoverable you have documentation you have help menus you have you hover over things it'll show you something like stuff like that um so we need to like we need to basically under- learn those lessons like Apple needs to learn those lessons and like implement that in in, in iPadOS basically um, essentially they just need to add Chrome Add, it's okay. It's okay to add Window Chrome. Window Chrome is not your enemy. I mean, don't don't go full Gmail 2011 redesign, right? And have white space on white space. But like, you know, it's okay to have Chrome. Maybe, maybe take a lesson from the Mac. Maybe take a lesson if you if you want to be more like the Mac. Take some lessons. Like, you know, it's fine. All right. I mean, this is. I think we have gone on, on this topic enough, and now we talk about another topic, which is equally. Uh, 
kind of frustrating in some ways. Uh, it is, we, this is, I think this was Chos' idea is uh, we're going to talk about uh, subscription fatigue and uh, just like, can you like, in, in like, a, in like a couple sentences, like try to explain what, like, what do you mean by subscription fatigue? Like, like, what do you mean? So basically developers want to make money from selling software, which is perfectly reasonable. And they, you know, they, you should be able to be an independent developer and, you know, make money making software that I don't disagree with. However, um, mostly due to business models put in by Apple and Google and how their whole economies work on their app stores, a lot of um, apps and independent developers have been moving to subscription models, whereas instead of, hey, um, you know, I like Logic, this is productivity software, I'm going to pay $200 for it once and then, you know, if there's a new version, maybe I'll pay for it afterwards, but this version will work on this version of the OS. If I upgrade it, you know, it might break, but, you know, for my system right now, if I was to unplug it from the internet, and just keep using it as is. The software will always work on this version without yeah. issue. Yeah, the software will always. And work, yeah. what they're doing now is moving to where instead of paying two hundred, I will pay Adobe fifty dollars a month for the entire Creative Cloud suite because I need Audition to do some audio work, and I will then have to use Adobe's garbage Creative Cloud desktop app and that whole mess. And the the reason reasoning for it right is just that a software has become really devalued recent in, in recent years, past decade. And more so that um, Apple and Google, for for that matter, Google's complicit in this as well, doesn't allow upgrade pricing. So it used to be right that, okay, I'm going to charge 200 and I'll release a new version with some great new features. And if you already bought the app, $75 upgrade fee, you know, if you're a new user, $200. So at the very least, I could be getting 200 and then 75 every time I upgrade a new one. And, you know, you can do the math out to make that work for you, where, you know, if X percentage of my user base upgrades, I will still be able to keep, you know, p- keep paying. My exactly. Bills. So, like, well, how desktop operating system, the desktop, uh, sorry, uh, productivity software has worked for a while before the, the subscription thing is that you just have this version and you, you pay an upgrade pricing for the new version. Right? That's that's basically it. And Microsoft, some Microsoft still works like this, right? A lot, but there was some like BB Edit still works like this, right? You you buy the you if you're a new user you pay the full price right and then you can you have that version as long as it will work on your os it'll, it'll keep working and if bbm it also it, offers the subscription model too though yeah it does yep. so it offers both options so i think actually a good a good example would be like all the productivity software in the world that i use right <laughs> rx is i believe i paid 100 no i paid 200 for it rx is 200 um rx6 is the version i have there's a new version rx7 i haven't felt the need to upgrade yet but if I wanted to, I'd have to pay, I believe, like $50, $70 to upgrade whenever I get around to doing it, which I mean, I would. I, I just have been lazy just because I think RX obviously has made me enough back in terms of time saved and production quality. That I think, believe it's worth it. And, and that's that's always been like a fair pitch, right? Like BB Edit, right? Like if you do, if you do like text work a lot, if you do, if you're going through huge CSV files, right? And you, you have to like do macros and stuff on it and it a if it makes you money right because it's part of your job workflow or b it's it's essential enough to your workflow and how you use a computer i i don't i and i believe a good number of people don't see any issue paying for that no right? no absolutely but not. like the I'm... issue is when fantastical which is say it's a new calendar it's a calendar app for mac and iphone they just released a new update and it's now 40 dollars a year for that shit and it's a calendar app and i like my issue is like do i does the feature set provided to me matter enough that I'm willing to pay $40 a year for it? And the answer to that is absolutely not. Like I bought the original version for like, it was like, I think it was like $30. Like I bought it like three years ago and I, 
I've switched back to Apple Calendar because I I don't think the new features warrant me spending five dollars a month, which is going to be sixty dollars a year, or forty dollars a month, right? Or forty dollars a year rather for it. Like for example, the only subscription software I actually use um is One Password. One Password is currently the only software set that I'm paying for on a subscription basis. Obviously, I paid software I use, and that's mostly just because um a password management is one of those things where like paying five bucks a month for it, or actually i think it's four is fine because like i value not you know that kind of like digital security enough and i don't want to roll my own of like you know having to set up like a, a syncing service and dealing with all of that yeah i i pay for bitwarden and it's like like bitwarden hosted service uh cost like a, like a small like twelve dollars a year or something like that it's 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 very cheap uh for what it gives me and it's like i don't have to worry about hosting it on my own or like like i need my password manager to basically work all the time i can't cannot like it's not a thing that i need to want to worry about when i and I have other things to worry about it's like password management should just just be a thing that works because- and paying someone to do that's great it's just like the same reason right that like say you'd pay someone to host a server right you could definitely host your own email host your yeah. own server yeah i can do a but- lot of things on my own but it's like it's a it's difference between peace of mind and like my own time is not free like doing like i have limited time and i want to do use that time in a different way and i don't want to be dealing like with um servers. star right the new show like i'm paying for transistor which is a podcast of cms system right that's 20 bucks a month I've done it before. I could very well just spin up like a $3 Linode thing, right? And just put WordPress on it. But I don't want to deal with it, you know? Like, I've dealt with it before. And I could be doing other stuff with my time. I Like, maintenance is annoying to deal with. And I don't want to have to deal with it. So, like, and I don't. Yeah, but it's... And, like, I'm looking at the list. Like, I'm looking at the like the Mac Stories review of the new Fantastical version. Um, and, like, the extra features that you get with the premium version. And, and to their credit... When you upgrade from Fantastical 2, right, you still get all the features that are... Yeah, they didn't remove functionality like some other apps have done in the switch to a um, subscription model. Yes. So, but the the when the new premium functionality, like some of the stuff is like very advanced, like calendar sets, like event proposals, like templates, full task support, like, you know, like, like what detailed weather forecast, like stuff that integrates with like web services. And like, apparently... Uh, there's some like web service that Fantastical hosts that do like uh, event proposals for you, right? Like, yeah. So basically, right, if, if um I was to say, hey, let's rec- let's schedule a recording, I send you a link, and it'll pull my calendar. And say, oh, um, they're available at these times. Which one works for you? And then it picks that, and then it notifies me, and I and I can accept it, and then it creates the uh, calendar event for both of us. I I can I can see how that is useful to a certain set of people because I would imagine that like, if you're like a person who has to like organize a lot of those events with other people where you have to like sort of figure out which time somebody's available with uh or like you know like if you use calendars in that way i can see how this is will be useful to you because at least that is a hosted service that fantastical is offering you right so at least in in fantastical's case even if i even if i wouldn't pay for the service because it's it's not it wouldn't be useful to me in, in a, basically any way because I don't I don't use a calendar in that like in, in very on in, in that way I can see how fantastical would be like kind of justified in charging forty dollars a year to people who really really need this like if this is part of your business no and I I think the subscription like I think it makes 
sense for like people who do that, right? That's why like Fantastical is a little bit, it's not worth it for me, but I think they did it the right way, right? And it's like, there's another example that there are two examples of software that recently had new versions and it's gone. One is Fantastical and the other one is MindNode, which I think is less justified in charging a subscription model because as far as I can tell, there is no like, like they're not offering like any sort of like hosted service, right? Like they're not offering any sort of uh, like like if you click on like the the blog post uh, that they have when they posted, and uh, it is it is two dollars forty nine a month or twenty dollars a year, right? And I don't think it justifies twenty dollars a year. Like I would be willing, like I would be play willing to pay. $20 for a version of MindNode because it is sometimes useful to me, but I would no way in hell would, would like, like, like a subscription makes sense for something like this, in my opinion. And, and like, the thing they, is, too, they've, I'm reading the blog post right now. They released the last major version six or nine months ago. So that means if you, like, bought the app nine months ago, less than a year later, you're now having to pay another one. Like, you don't even get a full year cycle on it. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, if it's a free upgrade for all existing MindNote five and six customers, that if you uh, okay, so it says if you if you automatically update to MindNote seven, you'll get visual tags and all other enhancements, but new features in future releases will require MindNote plus. So it's sort of the fantastical model, kind of not really, but it's like it's sort of like you already get the features that are like if you bought MindNote five or six, you get those features that are available at release of MindNote 7, but any new features in MindNote 7, you'll, you'll need to pay the subscription, right? Which is not, like, I mean, that's that's fair, I, and that's fine, but at the same time, I also think that... It's the value proposition, right? Like, like you can charge whatever you want for stuff, right? Like, we're not saying you can't. It's mostly, am I going to pay it? And, like, you know, I'll pay for 1Password, right, obviously, because I don't want to deal with that mess. I'll pay for productivity software. I Like, if... If if RX went to a subscription model, absolutely, I would give five dollars a month for it, right? Like that's not without question, just because of how much value I've gotten from that. Ditto for um, Overcast as well. Actually, actually, I forgot Overcast. Is yes, one. Over, Overcast is one of the two subscriptions I have uh, on uh, on on iOS, other than uh, the iCloud storage subscription but like which is a which is a scam by the way i just want to put that out there should be illegal it should be illegal it's a scam but it's also i i i am paying like three dollars a month for a family plan right which is another thing i'm i'm not like i'm not paying just for myself which is uh yeah so it's like a little bit better less than less of a scam i guess uh but it is still yeah it feels bad to pay for that uh because it is otherwise it's basically useless if you don't pay for it uh but like paying say like paying you know like twelve dollars or like twenty dollars a year for like an app that doesn't provide you much value and you just use because you think it's nice like it, it it it's and sure okay the argument could be made well like whatever shows that's like going out to eat once a week and i mean true but at the same time like i there is a thing of having so many subscriptions right and and I I guess it's maybe me just personally, but just like waking up and being like, oh, like here's a bunch of random charges that get taken out of your account. I'm just kind of like, what the fuck? Like what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, this is this. I mean, we're we're talking about iOS apps, but let's talk about subscriptions in a wider sense, which is which is this. It's not just uh, if it was just iOS apps, I don't think we'd be here talking about subscription fatigue. I think the fatigue is coming from every sort of service that wants a subscription. It's not just. It's not just iOS apps. It is uh, your music, music. Netflix, so okay, so I have, I have Spotify. 
right? I have Spotify. OnlyFans. Like, every sort of service, it wants sufficient, like, streaming service. Thankfully, I, I am not. Thankfully, I'm not paying for any streaming services because uh, my the Netflix account is it's it's my it's on my mom mom's it's my mom's account so she pays for it. But uh, like if if you have multiple streaming services, well, I mean, I'd have to pay for those. If you have uh, also like what else like people pay for? Oh, Office three sixty five, right? And Office stuff like that. Is, like okay, I, that's the weird I, thing too about it. Like I, I I think about it more, and I'm like. So I have Office 365. I got like a free student one. So I have like a free account through 2021. Yeah, like through 2021. Four years, four years, right? Four years. I, you, I renewed it again for four years. And now it's like I, I have probably like three years left on it. But the more uh, I think so about like, it, I'm like, have I ever? So I used Excel at a job. I had to use my personal one because uh, they never gave me they never gave me an Excel key. So like I had to do Excel work with my own personal account, which uh, that's the only time I've ever actually used anything other than OneDrive for my Office 365 subscription. Yeah, I only use it for OneDrive, basically. Like, I don't... The only reason I would... I pay for Office 365, uh, like... And uh, like is is for OneDrive. I don't use any of the Office apps, right? And that's how they get you, right? Like it's like they, they bundle it. Bundles are like uh, the devil here. Like I I canceled uh, Amazon Prime, which is another obviously another popular bundle, and it's like, what do you get out of Amazon Prime, really? Like, well, if you think about it, what do you actually get out of Amazon Prime? Well, um, I mean, I I made well, I I uh, currently not subscribed to it, uh, but like I used to use it a whole lot for grocery delivery. Um, and before anyone asks me being like, oh, don't be a scab shows, I tip the people well. Um, okay. Yes, I'm aware that doing grocery delivery is a very uh, bougie thing to do. But I mean, no, but it's also, I don't think it's a bougie thing to do because there's a lot of accessibility reasons. No, no, there's a bunch of accessibility stuff. And I, 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 I just don't like I've I say I, I know some people on the timeline sometimes they'd be like oh we don't support anything Amazon but like at the same time if you tip the drivers well you know if you make sure that they're okay then you're you're, you're it's fine to do I feel like I feel like that is like I feel like even though if you're using uh, a company like that once again there's no ethical consumption under capitalism blah 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 yes I know but like hey if you help out the person who's actually the actual human there then you it's okay to do morally at least for me but that aside right like there are some benefits to it you get twitch prime and that you also get you know like just hey going out going out to a grocery store is annoying sometimes and i, I guess it's just I think about subscriptions it's like there's a threshold i feel like there's a threshold of value regardless of where it's at right like for example you don't pay for games pass i pay for games pass ultimate because a xbox live is worth it just for how, how much destiny i play and b Games Pass makes more sense for me than buying games because I do the thing where I buy games and I don't play them. I've learned that about myself. I still have yet to beat Assassin's Creed Odyssey, right? Like that is a running joke on this show. But, you know, Games Pass Ultimate makes me feel less bad about it because, hey, GTA 5 comes out on Games Pass. I'll download it, play around for a little bit. If it's not, you know, if I got three good hours out of the game, great. Three hours uh, multiplied over five or six games in a month it's paid for itself you know like that's already fine i already and i get the xbox live stuff with it that makes sense for me and it's just about the value proposition on it whereas when it comes to a calendar i do not get 40 dollars a year worth of joy on a calendar and how do i justify 40 dollars? i mean i could justify it with other things i do that cost me 40 dollars. 
going to a bar, hanging out with a friend. That might be $40 for the Uber back and forth and some of the drinks there and some food. And I get more joy out of that than I do out of using my node, right? <laughs> like, it brings me more pleasure. Like, it's, it's like I, if I close my eyes and tap the app icon, do I feel good about it? Not really, you know, if, if you tell me it's $40 worth. And like, I, like, I think, I don't think like my note is a bad app or anything. I think actually my note is a pretty cool idea and I, I've used it before and I've considered buying it at some point, but actually before this came out. I was like, when I saw this news and I was like, damn, this, this app went subscription too. Okay. Um, I guess I'm not buying it because now I would have to pay. Like I never, I only used a trial uh, and I used it to plan out. Like I was writing a very long blog post about like Overwatch League and I wanted to like sort of map out all my ideas using like a visual mapping system. Like not just like notes, but just I wanted to like map out all my ideas in like, in like sort of a graph, like, you know, like a visual way. Right. And like, my note is like amazing for that. It has all these cool utilities and like cool drawing tools, and like uh, it is designed to like sort of uh, facilitate that. But I was like, should do I? I was considering maybe do I want to buy like the like the like do I after the trial ends do I want to buy it? I was like, ah, nah, I'm just gonna I'm, I'm only gonna use it this once probably, and like I'm not gonna use it again. Well, there's like I think it's another um, aspect of it too. Like for example, I will sometimes like say I went out, I took a bunch of photos. I'll pay $5 just to use ViscoCam for a month, right? To go ahead and, and edit the photos and that. And I I actually think that's not a bad way of doing it, right? Like they have $20 a year or $5 a month. And I think like paying for Visco for a month, editing a whole bunch of photos, put you know your filters on them, export them out of the app. And then, you know, if you two months later, you know, you go on another little trip and you want to do that for pictures, make them look nice. Like I actually don't think that's bad as well. I, like it, it's, I don't use Visco enough to warrant $20 a month or $20 a year. And obviously, like if I ended up paying for Visco enough times that it ended up being more than twenty dollars, I'd probably just pay for a year subscription. But but that's easy math to do, right? I'm like, if I use this four times in a year, okay, I'll just buy the year one because I'm obviously getting enough value out of it. Like that makes sense to me. The value proposition there, and I actually think too for like stuff like mine, doing it monthly, just paying for a month isn't maybe that bad of an idea, right? You're working on a big project, pay for a month, and then just cancel it. I've done that with uh. Don't have a couple of apps. That's awesome. You're right. Like if if I wanted to use MindNote again, I could pay for a month and use it, and then cancel the subscription. Right? Like that could be like I, it doesn't like it's not like I can't export the like it's like I can export the data and I'm like good and I uh, I I don't like I don't need it consistently enough to for it to when it's like I have to pay for it yearly. But the issue with that though, right, is that it just fucks over developers because they're totally not making an, any money if people cancel for a month after doing it. Right? Like the um it's less uh i believe it was an episode of i think it was actually mac power users they did like a developer roundtable at the end of the year and the OmniFocus guys they're like yeah we're kind of spooked out because it's less upfront revenue but the promise the promise right is that is that you make it up in the in the long run but obviously if i buy a, a month of OmniFocus and cancel it they've lost money because they could what was once a 50 dollar purchase is now only four dollars or five dollars from me exactly and also like it's like the, the the promise is that people will just leave your subscription going like they will just be like yeah it's another thing on my credit card but people are getting people are getting wiser to that right people are not like people people are like hey why am i paying all these subscription fees now like, like I need to take a look at my credit card statement every month, and and, and I want to like see if any of these subscriptions are actually worth it, and I, if I should be canceling them, right? And it's like, yeah, the, the promise that Apple gives is like you get consistent recurring income, but is it actually consistently recurring? Like that's that's another thing, right? Like um, that's like, and I think yeah, as so- well, a lot of people are really are really like abhorrent to the idea of like an ad supported model. But honestly, how Overcast does it, it's not bad, right? Like, so for context, how Overcast does it, if you don't pay for Overcast, 
it shows you ads as a little banner ad at the bottom of the, of the player and in different parts of the app. So the, the ads, though, it is a private ad exchange that Marco runs himself, and they don't track users. So basically, it's by categories. If I'm so you'd be like you let's say I want to sponsor Shades of Brown on Overcast. I would bid I would bid on the technology category. And if a user is browsing a technology category or listening to a technology related podcast, then my ad will will have a chance to appear right for the bid. And that and that's not a user tracking, not invasive because hey, if over if Marco knows that user number 1 through 4 5 6 7 right is listening to a technology podcast, random bid highest bidder gets shown the the ad first right but that's i actually don't have any issues with those ad exchanges because they're not tracking me i mean maybe if if someone could figure out a way that i'm user one five four six seven but like oh you know i listen to the verge cast like there's not that that's far less invasive and far less creepy than other ad marketplaces and i i think that running that kind of ad mark ads in your app actually isn't like a bad idea i don't i don't think that's a bad way to do it whereas obviously like what a lot of developers actually do is that they just throw in you know google ads and call it a day but i actually i don't i think that you know the the play might be just do free with ads and then just like you know pay to obviously get a get a premium version and or move mm-hmm. them yeah i mean I, I i i yeah the overcast the overcast model is uh is, is i think it's a, it's a pretty good model because particularly because marco handles the ads as well right so it it's it's i feel like it's like if even if you have the ad version of overcast like it's not like you're getting shitty google ads right you are gonna get like an ad for a podcast maybe or like some other product that's related to the podcast like it's it's not totally terrible yeah it's not related to the user it's related to the content they're seeing Mm -hmm. so so that's like subscriptions like and like in ios it's basically impossible to make money now without using subscriptions which is the case because and on android you don't make money to begin with <sighs> that is yeah, that's another discussion but yes yeah, so like how do developers make consistent revenue in apple's ecosystem without subscriptions the big point is on mac maybe you can do upgrade pricing like like how bb edit does it where you can either buy a uh, a license or you can pay a subscription like you can you have the choice to do the mac app store subscription or you have the choice to buy the like the version from from their online store but like on on ios you don't have that choice you have to buy there is no upgrade pricing on on i on on the apple uh, app store on mac, on ios so you have to buy the uh, uh on on or even on the mac app store there's no upgrade pricing so you have to buy you have to have subscriptions if you want to consistently make revenue. Like if you're a small like indie software developer team, uh, or like you're just like a solo indie developer, then how are you gonna make your income? Is well, you have to have subscriptions. There's like no getting around that. It's either you sort of do my. You either have ads or like a lot of ads, or you have an ad supported version, and then you have a subscription. Like it's. The Apple has dictated the market in such a way that subscriptions are the only way to actually make money on on the Mac App Store and the iOS App Store, right? It is like it is that or in-app purchase, and, and mostly they do it because they want that thirty percent cut. Like that—that's that's also the reason. Um, uh, you know, hashtag developers should unionize. Uh, legislation should be a thing because you know, it's the reason we don't have upgrade pricing is that Apple would make less money on their services because they make a whole bunch of money through App Store. So if you look at their like earnings, right, the App Store is the biggest part of their services revenue. And it's like they're making money huge. 
large amounts of money from in-app purchases in games, right? Games are a huge source of revenue for Apple because it's like every in-app purchase they get a cutoff. It's like, that's a lot of revenue. Uh, and like, that's a lot of revenue cash cow, basically. Like, they, it's free money for them. They don't have to do anything. It's, it's basically profit. Like, free, it's like there's no cost for them to have in-app purchases or uh, like a subscription. Like, they are just taking a cut of that. It's like... Yeah, it's literally because it's literally a payment processing and that's it. Like, it's... It's, yeah. And services have such a low marginal cost. Yeah, it is just in, in like it is, and if there's an any if there's an antitrust case to be made against Apple, that's the antitrust case, right? Like that is the that is the big big shark. Like that is the big shark in the market. It's it's this it's this Apple uh, incentive. Apple basically making it so that you have to have subscriptions if you want to make a living on the App Store, right? It's just. Like I can't, I, I like, I, even if I like, I say like, like apps are going subscription. I can't blame them. Like I can't blame all of these. Are like my, it's not. It's like my note is like some huge company or like fantastical people are like some huge company or like uh, bare bones having to uh, like have a, a like a license in the Mac App Store. Like it's not their fault here. Like they are. There's no. They don't have a choice in this matter. Right. Really. And like, as well too, but you have like say on the Mac side too, where how long before you can run apps out of the App Store? Right. Like I mean with. It, it might be a couple of years, but it's going to be eventually that, you know, the OS gets locked off. And ditto, Windows, I once again, Windows 10X and all that, we've been talking about it. I do not do not foresee a future where the next decade will prove that Win32 still lives and you can and you can run Win32 free will without going through some Florida gatekeeper, right? Like, that's not a guarantee. And it's, I don't know, I just, it, it, it's, it's, it's the market for many reasons in tech right now. It's only big companies end up winning, right? Yes, <laughs> we had, we talked about this. I think last week too. It's yeah, like that. I think there's a there's like a side note about it too, right? Where um, there's this. I'm not gonna get too into it because we're already pretty deep in it. But like, if you could take a games angle with it as well, right? If you look at like how how Destiny's been going ever since Bungie went to, left from Activision, right? It's sort of like in order to make themselves a sustainable studio, everything's in Eververse. All cosmetics are being put in Eververse, and you're getting far less seasonal content with that season pass, right? And that's part of the reason people are mad like on the subreddit about the game. But at the same time, it's like, well, if you don't have big VC funding and you aren't... And, yeah, and- if, you're, if you're not backed by a huge publisher who is willing to front like an upfront, like, uh, like a large sum of money to get... like, a And you also release. don't want to work your developers into the ground for crunch. How do you sustainably make a product, right? And how do you sustainably yeah. charge for how it? Do you pay, yeah, how do you pay your developers like salaries and benefits and like... like uh, pay for holiday, pay pay for holidays, and like you know, like how do like if it's like if especially if you're like a solo developer and indie developer, like and especially how are you if you have like one money? game, right? Yeah, like World of Warcraft, for example. How much, how much of World of Warcraft's like, fr- like budget, say, comes from the fact that Blizzard can take bets because of Overwatch League doing so well and Overwatch making them so much money, right? Or Hearthstone packs making them so much money. You, they can they can run they can run like a WoW expansion and debt it a little bit right by crediting it with loot box money and all that or Call of Duty Call of Duty like Call of Duty yeah like like Activision Blizzard could be like hey we're gonna invest in WoW and like we're gonna make the return back from Call of Duty this year like it's like they don't have to worry about that because they are they already have a large large amount of money and recurring like all sorts of Activision Blizzard is, is shady as fuck in many ways. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. And it's, I think Ditto too for um, well, Planet Side, right? Like I think they right now they're an independent studio, right? So like I think a lot of the I, we talked about it a while back, but right, a lot of the changes they made towards monetization and stuff in the game, it's because you know 
hey, you have to, you either take a bunch of debt and then have to scale exponentially because that's how funding works nowadays, or you have people just have to pay more to play the thing because the developers have to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a reality. It's, it's developers gotta eat too, fam. Um, and it's like, especially when I want to, like, when it's like an indie developer on the iOS app store and their subscription, I, and I understand it. Like, I, I understand it. Like, it's, even if I don't like it, even if I'm tired of it, even I'm, I'm extremely tired of subscriptions, but at the same time, I understand. Like, yeah. Uh, like I, I'm subscribed to Overcast, uh, because yeah, I'm like, I, I use Overcast every day, which is another thing. Like, uh, Overcast is a, ta- <laughs> Overcast is an app that brings me joy <laughs> in many ways. Uh, so like, I, I use it every day. Uh, I, I feel like paying, like, what is it? Like, how much is it? It's like, it's $10 uh, a year, I think. Yeah, it's like $10, 10 US dollars. So it's like, uh, 13 Canadian dollars a year. And it's like, that's $13 a year for Overcast premium is like, in my opinion, it's steel, but like, uh, every app, yeah, I mean, all right. I mean, that's enough, I think, on subscriptions. Uh, and I've been trying to cut down on subscriptions this year. So, you know, uh, I Amazon Prime is gone. I moved that to the, the only thing I used it really for was Dish Prime. And I moved that to a regular Twitch subscription for the one streamer that I pay uh, monthly for now, uh, which is like $5 a month subscription. Okay. <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk about one last topic. And this last topic is me gonna be it's gonna be me shouting. Uh I'm not gonna take too long because we're already uh we already have about an hour now because we we there are some like uh topics that are very deep here. Uh and the topic is um there was a Verge cast um uh, interview with uh Neil Young. <laughs> uh and if, if people don't know who Neil Young is, uh, Neil Young is the guy who, uh, who's this the guy? He's a, he's a musician, um, who, who has this thing that he's trying to sell, which is the Pono high res music player, right? Um, and also like he has a book that he's also selling, um, and like I'm gonna not gonna go into the interviews like details or whatever, but basically he was like. The MacBook Pro has Fisher Price audio quality, and he's just like his well, argument. His argument is um, that you there is no technical measure to to tell the quality of music, but it's something you feel. He's using an example that um, when you watch a stream over Wi-Fi, because this wouldn't happen on Ethernet, obviously, over Wi-Fi, and the bitrate drops, so it gets all fuzzy, and then it clears up after a couple of seconds. That's how he describes listening to music on a proper speaker set hooked up to an amplifier hooked up to a vinyl player versus using a black file on a um DAC, you know with an amp plugged into like a nice pair of headphones driving it. yeah and, and, and he's also like talking about how digital like the digital audio like uh, digital audio is bad hashtag bad because it is you can't feel it man like you can't feel the audio you can't feel like you can't feel like the audio being bad versus analog like, his example was like a tape a tape is better? Like, are you fucking serious, dude? Like, it's a tape is a garbage physical. Okay, okay. I'm I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna drop some fucking hot takes here. Two hot takes. The tape. Okay. First of all, vinyl is a trash physical format. Okay. Let me just get this out of the way. Vinyl is a trash. It's limited. The, you can't get enough dynamic range, and you have to do processing bullshit actually to get good audio out of vinyl. And vinyl is a, a very like if you don't. 
uh, probably archive them. They're prone to degradation, physical degradation. The same with t- tapes are even worse. Tapes are like the mag- vinyl. Uh, they're also a um, very problematic resource to get vinyl. Proper vinyl you source from a certain tree. I cannot remember the name of it. There's actually a really good um, twenty thousand hertz podcast episode on how vinyls made. And do you know how environmentally destructive? making vinyl is like like it's making vinyl is like making rubber right in that there's a lot of wasted energy and heat that was you know that that has to be put into it whereas obviously with digital you just it's the electricity cost and that's it you know or the creation of the the equipment right but that's more of like a one-time cost whereas you're making multiple copies of physical media so more it scales up the more the more you pollute the earth by making vinyl right and then vinyls what happens when a vinyl degrades Guess what, friends? It sits in a landfill. You can't recycle vinyl. Yep. Uh, welcome to physical media, people. Uh, and so my point here is Neil Young is is on his bullshit about like how uh, digital, digital audio sounds bad and how people listen to music now don't really hear music, which is uh, another bullshit argument. Uh, and also like how uh, vinyl or like tape, it's just tape, fucking tape, uh, like... And, and and also the, another thing is he is making like he's denigrating people who make music in their bedroom on their laptop in Logic. Like it is, he's like that is like he's like that's not how like this stuff that's not good music. That's like, are you fucking serious, bro? Like Billy Eilish? Like fu- are you fuck like are you fucking serious? Like I. I, I don't like this argument. Do you know, you know, we don't have a real podcast because me and you are not in a proper radio studio and I'm not I'm not using a mixing dashboard. I'm right using now. a fucking Yeti microphone right now. I'm talking I'm sitting at my desk. There's probably vibrations picked up by my desk and like my, the, my fans behind me like I like it, but, but the, like when you listen to Shades of Brown it sounds fine. Like it sounds good. Like bro. Um like we we have no, I'm not using I'm not using a mixing deck, you know. I got to have um I have a mixing deck. I have to have a hardware um, interface right for you that has built-in okay, built-in compressor and a built-in limiter. And then you know I have to go ahead and then use a fader to mix it all. And then I have to press it to cassette or press it to vinyl. And we have to now mail it. You know. Um, so now actually, from here on out, just so I can become a real podcast, um, I'm gonna start mailing y'all um, seven-inch vinyls. Um, it'll be forty dollars for each episode. <laughs> imagine, imagine that! Oh my god, that's such so wasteful. Imagine making a vinyl for a podcast episode. Jesus Actually, Christ. I don't think our podcast will fit on vinyl because you can't have that be that long on the fucking vinyl, Neil Young. Oh my fucking god! Like I swear to God, Neil Young, please stop talking. And I, I like I would say that. This is just elitism and like just a man who is just a man who's just stuck in the past, right? Like it's this is like rose tinted glasses taken to an extreme, and like it is like I it is disrespectful to music and musicians to be talking about this, talking about the music that is being made today in this way. Like it is very disrespectful, in my opinion. To I all mean, the artists. Neil Young, Neil Young is probably the kind of guy who. Is like you know rap. That's not a record. It might be music, but that's not a record. You know, you actually Neil Young, you're a fucking boomer. Stop talking. Okay, boomer. 
<laughs> Neil Young, Neil Young is just an old cranky boomer. It's just a boomer, yeah, man. It's just a, like holy shit. It's just a, like uh, we could just be okay, boomer, and be like, that's 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 the segment. Like that's it. I, I'm I'm gonna put some. Well, actually, I'm actually, go- I'm gonna fight to one more thing. Neil, Neil I on the verge thinks that the AirPods had bad audio quality, and do you, you know what? You, I have a very I have a very hot audio take that is cheap headphones are fine. Like. There's always this, oh, the bass is muddy and all of that. And it's like, what what do you get out of listening to super hi-fi audio, right? Past the threshold of it being good enough, what what do you get there, right? For most people, like it's it's sort of I, I feel it the difference is this, right? Where jumps in resolution don't matter, but jumps in bit rate and jumps in like color for screens matter right like hdr makes more of a difference than going from 1080p to 4k or for games right for 1440p to 4k doesn't make that much of a difference but rtx makes more of a difference right at 1440p versus 4K. yeah because you can you can like visually like it's more obvious yeah and, and what i'm saying with like using cheap headphones and stuff it's like you can invest so much in this gear and all of that but what actually matters is just sending a higher bitrate file over because even if you're using shittier headphones, you know, there's less compression artifacts. And I think that that when people are like, oh, this audio sounds better, I feel like outside of the snake oil, what they're really see, they're really just being able to they don't you you sort of ignore compression artifacts unless you listen for them. Um whereas with, you know, obviously a hi-fi setup, you're gonna be using high audio quality, you know, files with it. But you could easily just use cheaper headphones with it, right? And just have that higher bitrate file, and you'll just get, you'll get eighty percent of the way there, right? And 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 I and I to to your argument is that you, I my audio setup at home is a FiO E10K, which is like maybe like a hundred dollars of it's like a USB deck, and my and my BNO uh, second uh, second gen uh, H6 headphones, which which is. Uh, I should mention uh, Marco recommended uh, headphones, which is very good, and it's it's expensive. It's like uh, I think like five hundred to four hundred dollars, but like that is a one time purchase, and it is going to last me. Like it has lasted me a long. I'm still using it. I'm using it right now. I'm using it right now. It's on my head right now. Uh, and I mean, ditto for me, right? Like I'm using a Focusrite DAC or Focusrite interface, right? Um, I'm using the DAC built into it just because I don't need to buy a separate DAC. Um, this interface, I think it's like it's a two by two, so I think it's like hundred, two hundred dollars. Um, then using you know, obviously a fancy XLR mic, right? That's this CAD one. Um, runs about three hundred. Um, if you buy them brand new, obviously this one is donated. Thank you to the person who did that, by the way. But and then the headphones as well. They are the Audio Technica ATX uh, M50s. So that's or ATH. ATH. Yeah, I think it's ATH M50. Yeah, ATH. yeah it's like and the... these are like I think it's two hundred dollar ones. So like that's that's a whole setup there. But like if honestly. I can I've listened to music like on this right, and then I'll just switch to like the AirPods or the Beats, and like I've I I have never noticed it is a difference, yes, but is it a six hundred dollar difference? No, 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 no. Like when I'm when I'm out and about these days, I don't bring. I used to bring my uh, BNO headphones with me. I don't anymore. I use my uh, AirPods Pro, right, and it's more than good enough it's like more than good enough where it's like i i I also like it's it's portable and i can use it uh for calls and like uh it's it's convenient to have the noise canceling on on when you're on like public transit and whatnot because it's loud uh and like it's fine like like more than fine it's it's good it's fine and like for this podcast right 
Like y'all are getting a 30 meg file. Dude, I I literally compressed this to 64k bit. That is the that is the bit rate. The bit rate of all these of every episode of Shades of Brown since 2014, no 2016. For the past 4 years or 3 years, that's going to be um 64k k bit MP3s, monos. And I mean, if uh, people have asked about Opus and that, I get it for better bit rate stuff, but like what, you really don't get that much. I have wave encodes of the podcast if you want one, right? Like, I have them. I know what it sounds like. And you know what? You hear us breathing more. That is the most, that is the most I've noticed. Actually, you hear the details that are not necessary. And that's not, especially in podcast You want that case. detail? I mean, yes. If you, if you want nothing but static breathing and wave, I can send you that file. <laughs> like, if you want an 800 <laughs> meg file of, of, of just heavy breath, what is this? Absolutely. Shades of Brown ASMR? It's, yeah. If you uh, want, if you want that ASMR, then I'll, I'll be more than happy to put it on, on the, on the CDN and send it out to you, but you're not getting, you, you're, you're, we're 80% of the way there at a 30 meg file. And the last 20%, I promise you, you probably don't want. <laughs> <laughs> and and to and to, to the overall point about Neil Young is that Neil Young is just a gatekeeping asshole, and it's like you don't anybody if if you see the Neil, Neil Young interview uh, or hear it, don't don't listen to it. But it's not worth. I I deleted the episode as soon as I saw it in my feed because I'm like I'm not listening to fucking Neil Young go on about his bullshit. Uh, it's there. I'm gonna link to a piece by somebody who knows what they're talking about. Uh, it's 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 the uh, it's the Ziff uh, blog post. I have listened. I think I've linked this to is the uh, is the blog post on even Marco linked this this podcast or this post in the uh, Overcast update post. Yes, and because it is important because it is about why twenty four slash one ninety two music downloads and how they why they don't make sense from a scientific perspective and from a person who knows their audio. This is the person who like this. So basically, this post explains how digital audio works because the part of the part of Yo Young's argument, right, is that vinyl has it. It's deeper, as he says, but like. What he means by that is vinyl has a lower dynamic range because you cannot write physically to it. Um, like EDM, you cannot put EDM on vinyl. And you might be, but I have the Taiko album on vinyl. I have a Taiko album on vinyl, and guess what? It sounds like shit. <laughs> I own a Taiko album on vinyl, and it sounds like shit because the bleep bloops and the synths and how he mixes his music. You have to remaster it for vinyl, but with EDM, if you yo, if you want that sick drop, bro. It's going to sound horrible on vinyl because you're. It's, it's, it's it won't even. Yeah, that's not even possible with vinyl. With like you, like it's gonna just sound bad. Like I, I'm not. So this is something I don't buy the physical. Uh, like I, well, I get what people like buying vinyl because people like buying physical things for various reasons. But never tell me that vinyl is a better objectively a better sound it subjectively it might sound warmer to you in some in some genres in some genres of music it'll sound warmer to you and that might be that might be something you want but you know why it sounds warmer because your amp probably has a fucking tube in it that's coloring the sound (laughs) just gonna put that out there there are tube amps that are used a whole lot when it comes to vinyl just as a historically because tubes were a great way to amplify sound and do you know what using like a ge tube or using one from uh, i forgot the japanese brand but using their tubes do it colors your sound in a warm way i'm actually going to drop a link to a channel that um i think you watched the video this does not compute where he restores a bunch of old tube amps right and you can hear samples of how using different tubes colors the audio and using the celeste soundtrack i think for i'm pretty sure i sent you that video a while back yeah, it's it's like 
you are like vinyl is is a specific like it has specific sound properties and i and i understand why people like the specific sound properties of vinyl i get it i get i get the nostalgia i get the the, the warm sound people like that warm sound whatever but don't tell me please please for the love of god if, if anybody asks me and they're like fuck vinyl is objectively better in some way and i'm gonna i'm gonna be like no it's fucking not listen to a digital file and tell me you can you can achieve that same dynamic range with fucking vinyl. You cannot. You can physically cannot. It's a restriction of the physical medium that you cannot achieve that sort of dynamic range on on on. Uh, and most music, guess what? And guess what? We're not. We we actually have exited the loudness wars, thankfully. And music has a lot of dynamic range now. Like uh, pop music, rock music, everything. Everything has a lot of dynamic range. If you listen to modern music now, there's a lot of dynamic range. And you can't get that on vinyl, bro. Like, it, stop. It, it, it specific, it, it was it too. It's like what, <laughs> when when you for for someone who listens to a lot of music. For me and you, both listen to a lot of music. What does what makes a great song better? Normally, is it not the sound the, the system you're pumping it through. No, it's it's the it's it's the mixing to begin with because you can a good master will sound good on cheap earbuds. That that is something I believe to the core of my heart is that a good master will sound good on cheap earbuds, right? And it's like I, I don't need I don't need high very high end equipment to tell that uh, like I don't know like the the, the Starboy by the Weekend sounds fucking dope because it's produced so well. Like it's not it's not the headphones that are going to be like oh yeah if 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 I get better headphones Starboy is going to sound better. No, like it, Starboy sounds just as good as on air on AirPods as it sounds on my good headphones. Like it's like. Bro, this, is, like this, is same, this is the same argument for almost every other medium, right? Video games, frame rate matters more than resolution, objectively. Yeah. <laughs> By a CRT. Uh, but with video streaming, color matters more than, than, than resolution. 1080p, like 20 mbits per second HDR, great. Like all the, the technical resolution of what you get in, in audio, it's a little harder to quantify, I guess, is not that important. A2, like people be like, oh, I need to hear so much detail. I get fatigued sometimes when I listen to music on this setup. Like, if I listen to like some old boomer white people music, right? Like some classical rock or whatever, like the twinkling hi hats and that, that just hurts my ears after a while. Like, like on God, it, it actually hurts my ears. <laughs> tonight, tinnitus, right? Tinnitus. Yeah, I think tinnitus will affect like how you listen to music too. It's like, you maybe you don't want that detail. And it's like, and if I'm listening to hip hop and I'm like listening to modern hip hop, which has a lot of uh, what what is it, like trap beats, right? Like hard hitting trap beats and like 808s in them. Like, why would I put that on vinyl? Or more so, you know, you know that um, there's something you you will notice if you want to be super high end and listen to high fidelity audio. Auto tune has a lot of compression artifacts. Just saying, sometimes like auto tune can get warbly and stuff. And you know what's a great way of masking that using AirPods. <laughs> Using AirPods really masks the, <laughs> the warbliness of it. Yeah, so, like, that. sometimes it actually, music might sound better depending on what you're listening to. Uh-huh. Or, and like, I, for some people, like, what's his, Leonard, whatever is his name, like, this one um artist, not Leonard Skinner, but it's, like, some, some other Leonard Cohen? Music. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was listening to one of his records, and, like, that voice be too raspy when you got that too much detail. Like, it's, like, too, it's too high def. Yeah. <laughs> you listen to Hallelujah, you listen to Hallelujah, and it's, like, too raspy. It's too high def. <laughs> I need like I had to put the AirPods on. I can't do it. I can't do it. I need my mids to be a little bit more muddy because I can't do that shit. 
you know, somebody's gonna add you and be like, you ha- somebody's got some boomer is gonna add you and be like, bro, why you diss my boy? Let it, let it like that. Like, but you know, like, you're right. Like, it's- or even better, if I listen to anime, right? Like, Japanese as a language has a lot of like utterances where it's like, you know, like super low, like it's kind of breathy tones in that. And that's like, that's a, that's a thing with, with the language, right? But like, you know, I really don't want to be, I don't need to be listening to the, ah, ah, in my anime, you know, it's a great way to mask that, using <laughs> shitty headphones. I use the high-end headphones and I feel like, I, I feel like someone's breathing down my, by my, by like my neck. Uh, it's, it's so bad. You want to watch some trash moi anime and you don't want to listen to the fucking, uh, No, I'd be watching the harems, right? They'd be like, and every time someone like screeching, you hear like, it's just, it, it's too detailed of a screech, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Like I just I, I I need my trash to be a little bit more low res. <laughs> trash, trash, low res, trash. That's gonna be the title of the episode. All right, and low I, res trash. Exactly. All right, let's let's wrap this up because we are we are just rambling and it's like a, we are one, one and a half hours in and we and so Neil Young, please shut the fuck up. Uh, please stop. Just please, just for the love of God. Uh, otherwise, I'm gonna have to do another one of these segments when you come back because uh, nobody wants to hear. I mean, me hey, but Neil Young's got a subscription service. <laughs> <laughs> if you want deep music a you'll have a better you know music will sound deeper if you just take your money and set it on fire then give it to neil young oh my god you fucking know, garbage just, ass pono just, player just please please neil young please stop nobody wants to hear me do this again and so let's neil young this. we're not going to take you to margaritaville wait he's the guy who made the margaritaville song right yeah 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 i think he is i some I, some also, old person is probably screaming right now <laughs> some person is screaming at us but i don't give a fuck you know what you know what you know what if any old person is screaming i used to be a, a classic rockhead when i was a teenager and don't nobody can fucking at me and tell me i don't like classic rock or like i'm biased if you would like to add if you would like to add him you can find uh you can find static at at packet cat at 10 forward.social or you find his email on his website staticsafe.com yeah you can go to staticsafe.com you can e- fucking email me and i'll send you a fucking playlist of all the classic rock i used to fucking listen to don't add me please because you, you you're not ready for that fight uh because i i like classical rock used to be my fucking shit when i was a teenager i mean i mean static literally just forked next cloud like i don't think you're ready for them hands <laughs> young static come oh, out that thing. heat oh oh but okay let's let's wrap but, this up uh, you, so you already get my website uh so uh, christian where do people find you on the internet so they don't have don't so- firstly you can find the show notes at two shades and if you would like to add me if any of my subscription takes or any of my takes um my my at is um at chosefine at chitter.xyz and uh my website is chosefine.website and until next time um from from as compressed as i could possibly say bye bye <laughs>